Good morning. Great to be able to be here at Manhattanville College to be able to worship our Lord God Almighty, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator of everything around us. And we are privileged to be able to worship the creator of the universe and know not only do we get to worship him, but he cherishes us. He loves us. He has chosen us even to be with him. Wow, I am humbled by that and so encouraged. Uh, today, we're going to talk about an opportunity we have as a church to take our love for one another to a new level, a much higher level. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and starting at verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, the greatest command in the Bible Someone asked Jesus what the greatest command was. Of course, the answer to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul spoke of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the most famous chapter on love. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, if we do not love, we're only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We gain nothing from our religion. In fact, he states that if we don't have love, we are nothing. But how deep does this love have to go? Similar to the question, well, who is my neighbor? What, what love are you talking about? How, how deep do we have to go with this? Well, today we're going to ask Peter that same question. And we're going to let the Apostle Peter answer that question. Now, the answer is toward the end of the chapter, but let's go back to verse 13 and set the stage for Peter answering the question, how much love do we really need for one another? How deep does this love have to go? So you ready for this? First Peter chapter one, verse 13. I'm going to read this in the Amplified. You can follow along in the NIV, but if it's too complicated, you can just listen as I read it in the Amplified. Verse 17, I'm going to switch to the NIV. But I like how the Amplified puts this in verse 13. So, prepare your minds for action. Be completely sober in spirit, steadfast, self-disciplined, spiritually and morally alert. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God that is coming to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Live as obedient children of God. Do not be conformed to the evil desires which governed you in your ignorance before you knew the requirements and transforming power of the good news regarding salvation. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Be set apart from the world by your godly character and moral courage. Because it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. Wow, that challenges me. That nearly overwhelms me. There's a lot here. Prepare your minds for action. Be completely sober. Be steadfast. Self-disciplined. Be spiritually and morally alert. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God. Live as obedient children. Do not be conformed to evil desires. And I have a lot of those. Be holy in all your conduct. 
be holy because I am holy. And of course, as Jesus put it in Matthew chapter five, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Three verses. That's just three verses. That's a lot to be there. We can feel like, man, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I'm I'm really working at this. Help. And then Peter goes on. Isn't that, you know, he goes on in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So there's still more here. Peter is really saying a lot of stuff here. He's saying to live in reverent fear, to live actually as a foreigner, like we don't even belong here. Our home is somewhere else in heaven to love one another, to love deeply. And then even after that, he continues into chapter two, verse one. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. In verse 11, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Verse 13, submit yourselves. Verse 16, live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everybody. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It seems like he could go on and on. In fact, he does. The entire book of 1 Peter is one continual admission. He's saying a lot here, isn't he? You know why? He's, because he's shepherding us. As a good elder does. He cares. And he knows what is waging war against our souls. Even if we don't know, he does know. And so he, he wants the best for us. He actually wants us to be victorious through this challenging life. Victorious into heaven. But it is, it's challenging. This is an upward call. It's hard to read the first chapter of Peter and not feel a bit overwhelmed by the upward call that he's giving us. It's hard to read first Peter chapter one and not feel just humbled by this. Like, man, I am so far from this to do this perfectly. Wow, what a vision. I'd love to be able to pull that off. Well, you know what? In all honesty, how can we pull this off? Alone. 
How can we single-handedly pull off what Peter is telling us to do without some help? Have you ever felt that you really needed some help in your spiritual life? To just even be a disciple? Or to just do what a disciple does? And when you get that help, it's just so refreshing. It's like, thank you so much. That was so encouraging. You know, God has provided us an amazing, marvelous opportunity for encouragement. What is it? You. One another. Love for one another. Sincere love for one another. Deep love for one another. The type of love that seeks what's best in others. It's selfless. It's loving each other according to each other's needs because we actually know each other and we know our needs. You know what? That can only come from a a church of loving believers. And that's what God has given us. Now, Peter's going to call us out of our comfort zone here in verse 22. So look at verse 22. Because as if we've had an upward call through the whole chapter, this is going to really be an upward call to us. But it is the key to really making this happen. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Wow. Now, Peter's saying we already love one another, right? Isn't that what he's saying? In fact, he's not just saying we love one another. We actually have what type of love for one another? We have sincere love for one another. So you would think that's sufficient. Hey, you love one another? Amen. Do you love one another sincerely? Yeah, yeah. Amen. That's it. We'll see you in heaven. That's what most of us probably believe that, that that's it. That's that's where it needs to end it. That's sufficient. But Peter's saying, no, no, you, you have that. You, you've got the sincere love for one another. But I'm going to call you higher. I'm going to call you to the next level up. I'm going to ask you not just to have sincere love for each other, but to love one another deeply. In fact, Not just love one another deeply. I'm going to tell you how deep I want it to go. I want this to go so deep, it can only come from the heart. Wow. What a vision. That Peter is asking for something so deep. That you know what? We can only get that from God. The quality of love Peter is speaking about isn't just simply an absence of bad feelings we have toward one another. Yeah, I love everybody. It's easy to walk into church and feel like, yeah, I love everybody. Yeah, we're all cool. We don't have any conflict. But the kind of love Peter's talking about is not just an absence of conflict. The type of love Peter's talking about goes really deep. You've got to really know people. You've got to be able to go deep into the heart and really connect on a much deeper level. To just say, well, I love everybody. I'm cool. I'm, I'm okay. It's kind of like walking into a movie theater and saying, yeah, I love everybody here. We're cool. 
I mean, it's kind of like love autopilot. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about an intentional love. Not just getting along with everybody. Not just sort of everything's cool. But he's saying, no, this has got to be a really deep love here. That's what Peter's going for. He's got such a vision for us that despite all the things that he's asking us to be and all the things he's asking us to do, he has such a vision for us that he goes, you know what? I'm going to ask you to love each other deeply from the heart. Wow. What a vision. You know, to practice true Christian love, according to Peter, it's going to take a lot more than just wanting it. We're going to have to do something about it. It's going to have to be intentional. To love one another deeply. You know, all of us have different love languages, right? We're all very different from one another. And I think most of us even know those love languages. But there's one universal love language that we all have. All of us have it. You know what that is? Being understood. I think deeply we all want to be understood. And when we are understood, we just feel amazing. And even if we don't have all the answers... We'd feel so loved when we feel understood, listened to, heard out. That without that, we're, without being really heard or understood, we're just going to feel a little superficial in our relationships. And it's going to be more like that movie theater. You know, in marriage, you remember last week, TJ talked about listening. And it was a great sermon on listening, great practicals. But remember the video with... The wife, the wife, what does she have in her forehead? She had a nail. Now, what was she trying to communicate to her husband? Her pain and her frustration, all this. What was the husband trying to communicate to her? But this is simple. This is really easy. Honey, honey, we can take care of this really quickly. Just remove the nail. And what was her point? That's not the point. Can you just listen to me? She just wanted to be able to pour out and share her heart. And in marriage, this is what's going to happen is husbands tend to want to fix their wives and wives just want to be understood. And the truth is that God has made husbands with the need to be understood as well. We just don't connect with it as often. We all have a deep need to be heard, to be understood and to be loved on that level. Now, personally, I'm really bad at this. I am really bad at just taking the time and listening and loving and really wanting to understand. My brain just goes too quickly to fix it mode or what do we need to do mode or we just have to do something to be able to do this. And lately I've been learning I am a really bad communicator. I am a terrible listener. Um, I've had a great time sitting down with my best friends that I've been with in Westchester County for the entire time I've been here. We all sat down and had an amazing talk. Now, it was really painful to hear some of this stuff. It was really hard to listen to them share how my stubbornness and my pride and my sin has just put walls up and pushed them away when they were just wanted to communicate and there were things I needed to hear that I wasn't hearing 
or I didn't want to hear, and I was just throwing up walls, and it was really hurting our relationships. And I've hurt a lot of guys. I've hurt my wife. I mean, I've had great follow-up talks with Teresa about this. I'm not the bad communicator. I am not a good listener. Uh, I am not one to, I'm not good at sharing vulnerably or sharing what's really going on in my heart or really what I'm thinking or feeling or, or knowing. I get just confused and, and, and I just want to sort of just control it into an environment that I'm comfortable with. And, and, in, and as a result, I'm just hurting my relationships and I'm hurting other people deeply. And I really am so grateful these brothers love me enough to have sat down with me and shared these things with me and really helped me see where I was way off and where I'd really wronged them as well. And, um, you know, it's been great to just apologize to these guys. And I'm sure I've done that to a lot of you and a lot of people I haven't been able to talk to. And I, I, I'm really sorry for that. I'm, I'm deeply sorry. That's not my intent. I mean, it's a little embarrassing for a minister to get up here and say, I'm a bad communicator. I'm a really bad listener. But I am. And so I need your prayers. I need your help because this is, this is like, wow, this is a wild change to make at 60. Uh, you know, being a better listener. Um, now, God can do it. God can do anything. I, I know God's going to make it happen because God is the God of miracles. But in some ways, I feel a bit, I guess, naked is the best way to put it. <laughs> that I'm not good at this. I want to be better at this. God will bless me with this. So, so pray for me. Be patient with me. Help me out here as I learn to go forward here. Um, it's not easy to hear the truth, but it's always great to hear the truth. And um, I don't think I'm alone here. I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't know that. I mean, I'm not looking at people going, oh, you and you and you. Uh, but my guess is that there's a lot of us that probably need to need some help with our relationships that we're, we're just sort of stuck kind of in the movie theater mode, um, coming to services, going to services, you know, attending things, and, but we're just not taking it deep. Um, so how are we going to do this? How are we going to take what Peter is talking about to not just love sincerely, but to love deeply, not just love deeply, but love from the heart? How are we going to get there? Uh, you can say, well, hey, we have Sunday services. Well, it's great we have Sunday services, but you know what? That's a busy time. We have kids, we have things, we're trying to set up appointments. It's just like we rush in, we worship God, we say a few things, and then we rush out. That, that's not going to do it. How do you get deep on that level? Uh, you say, well, we have Bible talks. Well, the Bible talks are very centered around the friends that we're bringing out to really help them connect with Jesus. It's really centered around teaching uh, the Bible uh, in a basic way to really help people connect. Uh, but it, again, is really centered around helping our friends become Christians. And Bible talks have been really great at that. I mean, really, really great at that. Um, well, how about midweeks? We've got midweeks. Again, realistically, how does a midweek go? You're rushing to get there, right? You're sitting through a lesson. And then you're worried about how long is this little group going to go before I got to get home and get to bed because I got to get up at five in the morning. It's not a great environment, again, to really connect on that deep level. We're looking, we need to look for a good time that's set apart, set apart from the rushed, 
set apart to just stop, to sit, to share, and to listen and connect. We need a venue designed around listening. Listening to others. Understanding what they're going through. Developing empathy toward one another. That takes time. To really love one another deeply is going to take a commitment. It's got to be intentional. It's got to be a plan. We want this. This is what we are doing. And maybe you're thinking, hey, but I'm all set. I'm set. I got my group of friends. I got my confidants. I'm doing fine. Well, that's great. Amen. But you know what? Christianity isn't just about you getting your needs met. It's also about all of us getting our needs met. All of us walking into heaven together, hand in hand, arm in arm. We all need help from people who care. I need help from people who care. I don't have this all together at all. This is a weakness of mine. I need time to be able to share and be understood and to pour out. I'm not good at being vulnerable. So I need a venue where I can be good at being vulnerable, where it's going to pull it out of me, where I can start seeing this stuff. And getting the help I need. But I also need a venue where I can listen to others. And hear them pour out. And them share. And them be vulnerable. So that I can understand and and be good at listening. I know we all want this, right? Because we all want to thrive. We're not playing club here. We, We all want this. And I believe we all believe in love and we all believe in one another relationships and we're all amening every one another relationship scriptures. But you know what? We got to be honest here. Most of us face typical suburban schedules and lifestyles. And what we're discovering is with that, we're letting these one deep, deep, loving one or deeply relationships just go by the wayside because it's just happening. Now, very interesting, very interesting point. What do researchers say about the International Churches of Christ? There are groups of researchers that research churches and they compare churches and strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, every church has a strength. Every church has a weakness. And they uh, they talk about it. They publish these publicize these things. Um, And what are they saying about us? Well, what the researchers see in us, the International Churches of Christ, because we are a fellowship of churches literally all over the world, in most countries in the world. And they've studied us. We have about 100,000 members scattered all over the world. And what they've said about our fellowship of churches, our sisterhood of churches, is that we are deeply involved in one another's lives. Is that we do really care for one another. We are helping one another, understanding one another. We're really in there supporting one another. It's not if it's not just showing up, but they really connect. This is what the researchers have noticed in us. And they have told our these same people have told our leaders around the world, men like uh, Mike Tolliver and others. They have said to these leaders all over the world, please don't stop. Because what they've noticed is we started to kind of let it slip. And they're like, no, don't stop. Don't go there. We, we need you. They said, you are the only group we are aware of. Of all the churches we study, you are the only church we're aware of that does this. So please don't stop. It's our strength. It is our strength of a church, as a church to love one another. It is our strength as a church to love one another deeply, to get involved in one another's lives, to help one another in all our issues. But we're busy. 
Right? We're busy. Do you know with all things, unless it's cultivated, weeds grow up. And those of you that have had gardens know this. As a farmer in Montana, I saw this. We all know what happens. The weeds are going to grow. I wish weeds didn't exist. I wish they didn't grow. But they do. And so with all things in life, unless it's cultivated, it's probably just going to slip away. And so we need to figure out how we can do this. Well, I've got some good news. Great opportunity. Our leadership team has been meeting a lot. Actually, hours of talking about the idea and that we'd like to present to you the idea of the congregation breaking up into what we call life groups. It's not going to be a Sunday activity. It's going to be a midweek activity. But breaking up into life groups. A life group is a group of four to five people who devote, devote, devote 90 minutes of their time a couple times per month to being together in one room and serving one another through sharing about our lives, listening to others share about their lives, and encouraging one another in our mutual Christian walk with Jesus. We believe this is the best way forward to move forward our one another relationships to the next level, to love one another deeply, and in the process, leave no soul behind. When I first became a Christian, and a lot of you, when you first became a Christian, uh, we were young. Well, I still am young, that's true. Um, We were younger. And most of us were single. Most of us didn't have kids. So we were fine with, hey, Sunday every week, midweek every week, Bible talk every week, Devo every week. Hey, you know, D times every week. Lots and lots and lots and lots. We were fine with that. We did great. But, you know, as we got older and with more kids and more schedule and more commuting, we had to really start adjusting our schedule as a church and start alternating men's and women's midweeks because we had so many children We thought that's the only way we could pull it off, along with the Bible talk every week. And then suddenly we're discovering, well, that's not, that's a little, so let's do a Bible talk every other week and a midweek every other week. And and so we, as we've grown, we've realized that we need to re-examine this because we don't have as much time as we really need to go deep into one another relationships. You know, Bible talks are a great way to reach out and help pull people into a relationship with Jesus. But they're not able to meet our deepest need of connection. That we, we really need, want as a church. And Bible talks have served a great purpose. We love Bible talks. But right now we're seeing a need to prioritize deep one another relationships over Bible talks. So let me show you our proposal as a leadership team. Here's our proposal. Not that. That is not our proposal. Well, it's a good one. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Sopranos, you ready? Man, I didn't give me a shot. I mean, I can song lead. Here, here's our proposal. Our current setup. Uh, the as a church, as an entire church, I know there are other things that are going on, but as an entire church, these are the two things we currently commit to. Uh, we commit to a Sunday service every Sunday because the Bible teaches that on the first day of the week they gather to break bread. And so we believe in that. We're putting that into practice. 
But as well, they were devoted to scriptures. They were devoted to the study of scriptures, the preaching and teaching of scriptures. And so we have a midweek service. And the midweek service is where we go deep into scriptures and really get into, into application of how these scriptures apply to our lives. Um, we have Bible talks. So typically our current schedule looks like this. We have a Sunday service and a midweek. We have a Sunday service and a Bible talk. Sunday midweek, Sunday Bible talk. Men's and women's, women's are mere images of this. So we're sort of flip-flopping men and women. We do the same thing. We just do them on different weeks. Here's our proposal. It's the same thing. We're asking the congregation to commit to only two activities per week. And that is a Sunday service, which we're doing right now, and a midweek or a life group. And they would be on alternating weeks. And again, the men and women, would it would be a mirror image. Now, with the life group, it could meet on any day of the week. It doesn't have to be a, a Tuesday. In fact, we're encouraging the life groups to meet on various days, various times of the day uh, to be able to meet the needs of, of the congregation. Uh, but this is our proposal that we're proposing. We want to prioritize life groups. We're not going to be doing Bible talks. We're going to be prioritizing the life groups to make this happen and um, learning how to go deep, how to really go deep in our lives. When will this start? Well, the earliest feasible date that we can see as leaders is April. That's the earliest that we can see, because there's a lot of work that goes into making this happen. So nothing's changing right now. We are still on the current schedule. But our vision is, by April, to be able to switch to the proposed schedule and make life groups the priority. Um, yes, we're hoping April, but of course, God will make it plain. Uh, Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart, a man plans his course, or a church plans its course, but the Lord determines his steps. And so, of course, we're going to be following God's direction. We're going to be looking for God's direction. We want to be humble in this. We want to see when is the best way to do this. We want to make sure the congregation feels, everyone feels great about this. We know there are questions. We know there would be doubts. We know all kinds of things might be floating in around. Uh, so, of course, if you have any questions, we want you to ask the leaders from the core advisory team. So I just want to ask those men and women that are on the core advisory team to stand up so you know who they are, so that you can ask these guys questions. If you have particular questions about this plan, please feel free to talk to these people, I think the only people missing, uh, Dave Appel is missing. Uh, who else is missing from who's standing? I think we're okay. I think Dave is the only one that's not here. So please feel free to ask these people if you have uh, questions. We've been meeting with prospective, uh, interested uh, brothers and sisters from the congregation that would like to facilitate these life groups. Facilitating, not it's, it's a different term than leading. You wouldn't be leading a group. You'd be facilitating a group. And we've been talking to them. Uh, but again, this is going to take some time uh, to be able to uh, put this into practice. What, what is our overall vision as a congregation in this area? Well, it's to provide an opportunity for all of us to be in great relationships. I'd like to say it again because I'd like to get an amen on that one. 
What is our vision as a church? Our vision as a church. Everybody got really, really messed up on that chart. What is our vision as a church? Our vision as a church is to give all of us an opportunity to have great, deep, personal relationships with one another. Yes. I believe in this. I truly believe in this. I have a vision for this. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. Jesus said they will know you by your love for one another. How deep does that love need to go? They'll know you by the fact that you uh, just get together and have no conflict. No, they'll love you. They'll know you, you by your doctrine. No, they will love you by your devotion to your midweek services. No, they will know you by your evangelism. No, none of those. They will know you by your love. But that love has to go deep. It's got to get personal. It's got to get get effective on that level where we really are, are understanding one another, knowing one another and truly loving one another. So, yes, we're asking for your support. We're asking for your support as we move into this new format of church relationships. But we believe that this is going to be an amazing opportunity to put into practice what Peter is saying and the covenant relationships that we've been hearing so much about. As we've been listening to a lot of teaching on covenant relationships, I've heard nothing but good stuff from the congregation. This is so good. This is so helpful. I love this. When is this starting? I think God has put it on our hearts. I think we're ready. I think we're ready to take our relationships deeper. So please be praying. Please be praying as we move in this direction. Please, please be praying for wisdom for us. Pray for me. You know, can you just picture something for a minute? I, I love thinking about heaven, you know. I love just picturing, what I really like picturing is the last trumpet. And hearing the last trumpet. Like, I am ready for that trumpet. <laughs> I'm like really ready for that trumpet. I, I can't wait to just jump up and down and scream. And just being able to see everyone going up together, you know. Um, but picture, while we're here. Everybody being like almost best, not best friends, but, you know, a deep personal relationship. Picture where we all feel so trusted, so safe that we can share with a lot of people what's really going on. I think a lot of us are really burdened because we have stuff that only we know or God knows. But we know we ought to share it. We're just not connecting. So picture being able to, the whole congregation, being able to be together connecting on this deep level, on this deep personal level. We, we just have a safe environment where we know we're loved by these people. And we know one another. And we're spiritual. And we trust one another. It's being able to share all this stuff. And being able to just encourage people. I mean, it's like that, that's what I really, really appreciated about the group that I had a couple weeks ago where these are brothers that love me. These are brothers that care for me. These are brothers that, that, that want the best. And just being able to hear them share 
yeah, it was tough. It was especially tough to know how I'd hurt them. But at the same time, I'm really grateful because of the depth of love they have for me, just listening to them, and, and I trust them completely. And just being able to hear all this honesty, I felt encouraged. I felt really encouraged. Not encouraged that I'd hurt them or not encouraged that I'm a bad listener, but really, what really encouraged me, I feel emotional about it, what really encouraged me was they still love me. That even though I'd blown it, even though I'm not good at this and I'm a 60-year-old minister of a large congregation, they still have vision for me. That they still love me. They still care for me. I felt nothing but love from them. Nothing but vision from them. Nothing but, but, but encouragement. And I really believe that we all can have that. I need it. I don't think I'm alone. I think we all need this. So picture the vision. All of us having these relationships. All of us being able to have these relationships where we all connect on that level with one another. Leaving no one behind. Because I know we have people that are... I don't want to say a word. I think you all know. And we don't want to leave any soul behind. We, we want to make sure that every member of the Westchester region is in a life group. Because we believe that this is God helping us connect on a deeper level with what Peter is saying. You know, when, uh, how long ago was it? In 1994, I believe, or 95, 95, 94, 95. I think it was the beginning of 94. Okay, it doesn't matter. Well, to me it matters, but it doesn't matter to you. Um, <laughs> Teresa and I were invited to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, I'd been a missionary in Africa uh, for three years, and Mike Tolliver wanted to take all the Africa guys on an adventure, and I had just recently moved to New York, and Teresa and I had been married. And he said, we want you and Teresa to come because you're, on, you're, you're still on the Africa team here. So I said, yeah, I'd love to, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And we had to work hard to prepare for this. It's 20,000 feet. Um, most people don't make it because of the altitude sickness. You've got to train. You've got to be prepared. You can't just wing Mount Kilimanjaro. You can't just show up and expect to conquer Mount Kilimanjaro. Even though it's a non-technical climb, the altitude is still an issue. And no matter how much in shape you are, you still might not make it. In fact, uh, in the training, uh, we, had, we had been training. We were living in the city. Uh, we were in an 18-story um, uh, apartment building. So we were going up and down this flights of stairs 13 times in a row. Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. 13 times in a row without stopping. Because we needed to make sure we could do this thing. And if you couldn't do that, you were in trouble. So picture yourself doing, you know, man, it took some training, right? To be able to do a 18-story uh, building 13 times in a row. Um, but it was great, you know, when we got there. But our instructor, you know, we, we were told we would have an instructor for right before we started the climb. And uh, we're looking, you know, we're looking for the instructor. I'm like, where's the instructor? And, you know, of course, I'm picturing this this guy, you know, 200 pounds of pure muscle, 
you know, 6'3", you know, excited guy. You know, that's what I'm picturing to come in and tell us and inspire us out of Duke Kilimanjaro. And this older lady comes walking in. 75. I'm like, what happened to the guy? Because I'm your instructor. And she sat us down. And she told us her history. She'd first been up when she was 13. And I don't know how many times she's been up, but it was maybe 100. She's, the only thing I remember is this. Be humble. Be humble. She goes, you're going to see young men, young German men, pass you on the road and laugh at you for how slow you're going. And she said the Swahili word, poli poli, poli poli, which means paced, slow, paced, slow. You're going to see these young German men, fit, muscular, pass you up. And they're going to be laughing at how slow you go. Memorize those faces. Those are the faces on the last day that you will see coming down in their own vomit on stretchers. Be humble or you will fail. It's kind of like Yoda. She looks a little like Yoda, actually. Come to think about it. We were like, afterward, we were like, oh man, you know, we just got to poly, 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 you know. And sure enough, you know, as we were climbing up, sure enough, exactly what she said happened. These, these young 20, 25-year-old German guys, you know, just fit, kind of like me, muscular, you know. That got a laugh. Fit German men, you know, just passing us up and laughing. And we did. We memorized their faces. Every single one of them came down on stretchers. Some in their own vomit. And nearly all of us made it to the top. The only one who didn't had a sickle cell anemia. And his blood type was just not able to process the, the oxygen levels at that level of altitude. And so he didn't. But the rest of us made it. And I remember at the very top, you know, we were all single file because you're, you're on a volcano going this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. And you start out at two in the morning. Uh, it's dark. So you have, lamp, you have a lamp on your head and um, you can't see anything. Teresa said, I think I know why you start out at two in the morning, because if you actually were to look at what you're supposed to be doing, you'd say, no way, I'm out of here. And the altitude is so high and your breathing is like, and it's, you know, it's below zero. One time I dropped a glove. One foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. I mean, it was really challenging. So you're single file on the way up. Mike Tolliver said, you know, we were about to reach the top. He goes, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. We all need to join arms. We all need to join hands. We all got to do this together. 
So we waited till the last person caught up. And it took a while. Nobody had reached the top. Nobody had celebrated. We were waiting till the last person caught up. And the last person caught up, and I don't even remember who it was. Isn't that a beautiful thing? When the last person caught up, we just joined arms, hands, and we just did it together. And reached the top and celebrated. That is what we need as a congregation. No soul left behind. Amen.